Welcome back to the podcast, The Inspector Alliance. I am your host, Jeff Luther. As I've mentioned, I've owned a home inspection company for over 20 years, Home Pro. We operate in two different states, in Atlanta, Georgia, and Charleston, South Carolina, doing over $3 million in revenue. And we employ 15 full-time inspectors. The purpose of this podcast is mostly to explain and kind of peel back the curtain on what I've done over the years to build a successful business and also explain what I've done that I would recommend you not do to help others out there that are trying to build an inspection business, avoid the mistakes that I've made, avoid the avoidable. It's one of the things that we talk about in our business when we do our, our weekly excellence report is what was avoidable? What could we have avoided that set us up for, for failure or set up a client to have a less than wonderful experience? Our last episode, we talked a little bit about that, a little bit about starting a business, some of the things that we should focus on or could focus on in building that business and going forward and kind of seeing the vision of the future. And in this episode, we're going to elaborate on some of those. I want to switch gears a little bit. I had an opportunity to speak at a local college a couple of weeks ago in the, uh, in the business school. They have an entrepreneurship program, and I got an invitation to come in and speak, which was, which was amazing. Um, and, you know, as when you do any public speaking, you always want a little bit of help from your audience in terms of what they want to hear or what they would like you to speak about. One, it helps you prepare a little better. And then also it lets you know what your audience is interested in. And you can try to find common ground. And this one, they asked me to speak to the students about what I would have told myself what I would have told my 25-year-old self in starting my business. And in this one, the topic they wanted to hear is what I would tell my 25-year-old self when I was starting my business. That's how old I was when I started this home inspection company. Um, so that's what I want to speak about, the lessons that I learned and the insight that I gained in talking to these students, really more in preparing to talk to these students. I learned just as much preparing as, as I did actually doing the, doing the speech. And I'll also add, anytime we have an opportunity like that, as long as we keep our eyes open and, and are observant, there's always a lesson to be learned. So what would I tell my 25-year-old self in starting, in starting my business now? Um, when I started making my list, it was all don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And as I read through it, it became pretty negative. So I wanted to kind of reframe that a little bit. I'll start by saying, when you begin, begin with the end in mind. Now, I don't mean begin with how you're going to end it. I mean, begin with the vision of what you want it to look like. What does success look like? Why are you doing this? That is the first thing I'll add. And then we may touch more on that as I go through this and get to the end. Um, but some of the things that I wish I would have known before I started my business. First, hire before you need to. Now, these are not going to be in order of importance or order or in order of how you're going to come across them, but hire before you need to. Because by the time you get to a point, even in our business today, we have 25 employees 
And even in our business today, we still find ourselves hiring out of urgency. And when you hire out of urgency, you run a very high risk of putting either the wrong person in the right seat or maybe even the right person in the wrong seat. But very rarely do you have the freedom or the latitude to put the right person in the right seat. So think about hiring before you need to. Then you allow yourself the freedom of interviewing the right person, not having the pressure to fill a seat, not allowing the right person or the wrong person to put the pressure back on you to hire them before they go off someplace else. It allows you a lot of freedom, a lot of latitude to sit back, digest, rehash the information that you've gained in that interview process and determine if this person is actually a right fit or not. That is so much more efficient than hiring out of urgency. And that's where we found ourselves a lot of times. Have a great training program. I can go back in time and tell you one of the most limiting factors of my company's growth was not having a good training program in place for my inspectors. Now, let me qualify that. When I first started hiring inspectors for our firm, I had an incredible training program. Top to bottom, I could take someone under my wing and I knew with unwavering certainty in about eight weeks, they were going to be great. They weren't going to be excellent. Excellence takes time but they were going to be great. Then as time went on, I got busier and busier and busier. I had other things to do in the business. I was working in it as much as I was working on it and training became secondary. So the biggest limiting factor for me was not having a good training program because what would I do? I would find reasons not to hire. If I hired someone, I had to train them. Then if I was going to train them, I had to take my eye off other balls that I had in the air. So finding that training program, getting a good training program was paramount for me. And I just didn't know it. I was using that as an excuse to not hire folks. Or I'm sorry, I was I was finding excuses to not hire folks because I knew I didn't have a good training program in place. Um, try to think patterns. You start seeing patterns in your business. For example, I could have seen that pattern that every time I hired an inspector, it became more difficult to train them. That was a pattern I could have picked up on. I could have seen the pattern of every March, we make errors when we're booking inspections because we didn't have enough office staff. It's trying to staff up before we get to that busy time of the year, that busy season. Trying to see patterns, that's another thing. Think patterns. Um. The next thing I would tell myself, one of the best lessons I ever got in my business was to put myself on payroll. I would treat my company much like an ATM. I'm sure there's some of you out there now that do the same thing. But whatever was left over at the end of the month, that's what I would take as my salary. So I was treating it much like an ATM. And sometimes at the end of the month, there wasn't a lot left over. So I will tell you, pay yourself first. Now, I'm not alone in that. Robert Kiyosaki will tell you the same thing in uh, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, a book that he wrote. He outlines in there, pay yourself first. And this rings true for me. The reason he says it 
is because you put pressure on yourself to build your income or your revenue, however you want to look at that. But you pay yourself first and the other people that you owe money to, they're going to kick, scream, claw, fight, do whatever they can to get what you owe them out of you. And you're going to feel that pressure too. Us as entrepreneurs, we're just sometimes a different breed, but we put that pressure on ourselves. So you pay yourself first and then you're going to have that pressure to either go out and get more sales, generate more revenue, or figure out how to pay your folks. So I think that's a, a very valuable lesson in paying yourself first. Also, as an aside, remember that one day we're going to want to finance things. You want to buy a house, you want to buy a boat, you want to buy a building, whatever it is. Well, that's tied to your personal credit too. So we need to keep in mind that we have to show continuous income over the duration so that we can prove to any financial institution that wants to lend us money that we can pay it back. So that's a, a key component there too. You know, we always get off in this um, fantasy land of how much can we put back on our company to pay for our personal expenses, paying for business, uh, paying for automobiles, paying for quote, business dinners, um, all of those things we run through the company. Well, that limits our income as business owners, and that matters to us not not so much as tax season, but when it's time to to finance something time to do something in our personal life. So keep that in mind as well. Another thing that I wish I would have told my 25-year-old self is I don't have to do it all on my own. Now, as entrepreneurs, we fall into the ego trap where we have to build it. We have to do everything on our own. And it's just not the case. There's some satisfaction in knowing that we're the brains behind the operation and not always the brawn. We don't have to do all the heavy lifting. Sometimes heavy lifting is done between our ears. And I suffer from that. The way that I was brought up is work is measured in how much dirt you take out of a ditch, right? So I feel like I have to constantly work. So it, it took a while for me to, to, one, to acknowledge that, just to even even notice that that was a pattern for me and then also to get okay with it. And I won't say I'm fully okay with it, but it, I'm better. And that allows you to free yourself up to do so many other things in your organization. For example, just, just getting your company registered with the state. It's an annual thing that you have to file with each state, which isn't that big of a deal. But sometimes as the business ebbs and flows, you find that maybe you have more money than you have time. And then sometimes you might have more time than you have money. So doing those tasks like registering with the state, there, there are companies that do that. Make sure you're in your annual compliance. Doing your bookkeeping. I would suggest early on that you do it yourself for, for two reasons. Um, the first reason is so you understand it. So you get an understanding of how, how QuickBooks work or whatever it is that you're using as your, as your data entry or your collection, whatever you're using for bookkeeping, but get an understanding of how it works. Then you have control of how expenses are classified. Um, and then the second reason is because at this point in your business, when you're starting up, you generally are going to have more time than you have money. And every dollar is going to count for marketing, for building processes, for investing in, in your, your capital investments, in your software, your insurance. Um, in any tools that you might need. So you'll be much more in tune with your financial health early on 
doing this on your own. As you start to grow, outsource. Hiring your assistant. It's, and, and I will say this, you'll hear me say this a lot, but it's amazing what just ordinary people can do when they have extraordinary systems in place. So hiring an assistant to do some of the, the tasks that you can build, some of the systems that you can build that are easy, that are timely, that are repetitious, that will free you up in your business to do the things that, that you want to do to grow your business. So outsourcing is another thing that I would, that I would suggest. For inspectors specifically, when you first start to hire other inspectors, research what the IRS considers a subcontractor and what the IRS considers an employee. Early on, we had all subcontractors. They were all 1099. And I learned from, from what I was told and also through my own opinion, please get your outside expert to give you their opinion as well, somebody you like, know, and trust. What I learned is that we had inspectors, we were giving uniforms, we had inspectors that we were giving a specific software, telling them how to do inspections report, inspection reports, telling them what they could charge for the inspection or the service, telling them what time they had to be there, where they had to be, when they had to do it, when the reports had to be done, all of these things that the IRS actually considers them to be an employee and not a subcontractor. So we were dancing a pretty delicate dance there early on. And I know a lot of folks that still use inspectors as subcontractors. They, they may know something I don't, but everything that I read told me that the IRS views that as an employee. So I would suggest looking at that on your own, getting your own assessment, retaining your own expert, and seeing what you come up with. Write everything down. As you start going through a new process, write it down. Make it a process that you can do over and over and over and over again. Once it's done once and documented and you get that process down, it's almost like a manual or an instruction book you can hand over to somebody else so that they can start that process. Again, it's systematized, systematized, systematized. So writing down those processes, being able to hand it off to somebody else, the, the process, a process for doing payroll. So that means that every Thursday night, you don't have to sit down, go through payroll, figure out who, owes, who is owed what, what inspector is getting paid what. You can set up a process for somebody else to do those timely tasks. And that frees you up I'm, for anything. Go fishing. Who knows? Um. But writing those processes down the first time you do it, because you're going to do it once and think, well, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to get it done and out of the way and then I'll move on to the next thing. Well, it's going to come back up. And if it comes back up again and you've got it documented, it's a whole lot easier just to go through that documentation and even easier if you have that documentation, you can just pass it off to somebody else. Get good at interviewing. Go ahead and start that process. Interviewing is not easy. It's not easy being the interviewee, let alone being the interviewer. The interviewee, think about that. You're being judged. Um, well, the tables are turned when you're the interviewer. That interviewee is judging you. Do they want to work there? Are you a good fit? Is the company a good fit? Is this person telling me the truth? It's, it's both sides of the coin during the interview process. 
And the quicker you can be comfortable with that, get good at it, or at least get to where you're confident in it, the better off you'll be because you are going to start hiring people. I have faith in you. I hope you have faith in you. Get good at interviewing. There's a great book called The Best Team Wins. And that's about that interview process, about the interview process. Then it goes on to retention. Um, Phenomenal book and also will help give you some insight of what your team is going to look like down the road. And with that, I would say get excited. Get excited about your business. Remember, we talked about beginning with the end in mind. So get excited. When you start posting for that first job, you start interviewing for that first job, I made the mistake of, oh, you know, gosh, I don't know why you'd want to come work for this little home inspection company. It's just me and one office person. I don't know. I don't know why you'd want to be here. They're sitting there thinking, I don't know why I'd want to be there either. But get excited about your organization. Get excited about getting people on board. Get excited about the growth. You have that internal excitement or you wouldn't be doing it. Try to figure out how to share that. Make it outward. So get excited. Remember, have a vision. Begin with the end in mind. What's that vision? Every step of this process, every hire, every interview, every system that you make, that you create, every process you write down, it's all part of that end vision. So get excited about every piece of it. Have a great orientation. Your own onboarding process. The day you hire someone, get them just as excited as you are about your organization. Have a great orientation process. We didn't have one until we were probably, I don't know, probably eight years into this business. We didn't have a great orientation process. It was you show up and we'll plunk a bunch of papers down in front of you, tell you what you get, tell you what we're what we're going to take, and then get you out in the field and get you started. Now, someone's first day of work, we take them to lunch and we get as many people in the company to go out to lunch with us that day. We want to get them excited. We want them on board. They're about to come work for the best company in the world. That's what we tell the folks that we hire. You know, you're we're so lucky that our paths crossed. I'm lucky because I found a great person to work with and you're lucky because you found a great place to work. We're going to take better care of you than you take of us. It's a bet. Let's see who wins. That's the way that we look at it. Go ahead and get your insurance. That's another thing that I would tell myself. I fought it, dodged it, avoided it. And I can tell you that would have saved me a lot of sleepless nights having that insurance, having that policy. That's what it is. It's a it's an insurance policy. It gave me the insurance that I was going to be okay. All said and done, everything came out in the wash, I would be all right. So that's another thing that I would say. Go ahead and, and swallow that bitter pill of getting your errors and emissions insurance, your proper general liability insurance. A lot of times in this business, you'll have to have those anyway. Some states are going to require licensing. Now in Georgia, we have no licensing at all but we do have licensing in South Carolina. So insurance is part of our game. So some states are going to require that. Some uh, organizations will require that you have that. And the states that don't have licensing, you may have uh, lockbox access that you'll be applying for. So you'll be required to have that insurance in most instances for lockbox access as well. A big struggle that I had as the business became more and more successful is I had to get okay with not being needed. One of the six basic human needs is significance. 
right? We want to be significant. And when you're not needed, you, you, you have a void in your significance. So one of the problems I had was as, as I, as I kind of got pushed out of jobs, that's really what happened to me. I kind of got pushed out of the fun jobs in the company. Doing the inspections, it got to where I just couldn't do the inspections anymore. And to be quite honest, I have inspectors now that I would hire them to do an inspection for a family member before I would go out and do it myself. I'm out of practice. Um, I don't have the focus. So, you know, being out of practice is just on its own enough of a reason. But not having the focus anymore that I used to have, I'm probably... I could probably go out and do a great inspection if the client were there with me because I could talk for six hours and entertain them, but I'm not sure fundamentally how good the inspection would be. But I have folks in our organization now that run circles around me doing an inspection. And when that started to occur, when inspectors started to get better than me, when I had to call folks and ask questions when I was on an inspection, that kind of well, it kind of hurt my ego a little bit, right? Um, I wanted significance. It's that validation that you're needed. So get okay with not being needed. When I hired our first real marketing person, uh, who is now our, our marketing director over, over both, uh, both states, I remember in the, in the interview process, her telling me that she was going to start doing all the continuing education classes I was doing and all the presentations I was doing. And I thought, I'd never let you do that. You know, that's my significance, um, going out and doing these presentations, and nobody can do them as good as me. And now, same thing. She runs circles around me. So I had to get okay with not being needed. I never would have imagined an instance where I wasn't training every inspector that came through the door. That goes back to setting up a good training program and then also significance. I had to figure out how to let somebody else do the training because they would do a better job than me. All of those things were getting okay with not being needed. And it also goes back to work, right? Work is measured in how much dirt you take out of a ditch. And if I wasn't doing, then I wasn't working. And it, it, was, it took a long time to realize that a lot of the work that I do comes from between my ears, working, working there. That's where my value is. Um, limiting fixed costs. The market cycles. In our business, we're always chasing that peak of the real estate business in that spring, early summertime. And we're, our fixed costs are pretty high. All of our inspectors are all salaried employees. We provide health insurance, retirement, vacation, company cars. We, we pay for everything. Um, they have to show up and do a better job than they're expected to. And everything seems to fall into place. What I learned early on is you take you take really good care of your of your referral sources, right? Which are in our in our business, mostly real estate agents that we work with. They refer our organization, and we have long standing, excellent relationships with agents. And then you take even better care of the folks that write the check. So the people that the agents refer to you, you take even better care of them. The the buyer, the seller, the folks that you actually do the work for. But if you put the folks that are actually doing the work on top of all of that and take the best care of those folks, I promise you everything else works itself out. They want to be the best. They want to stay. They want the company to be successful. So going back to limiting your fixed costs, 
that's one of the things that we've had a real challenge with because of how we treat our folks. But you limit your fixed costs. I'll take health insurance, for example. We provide health insurance and we used to pay 100% of the premium. I wish we, I wish we still could. I do. That was great. It was a great feeling. The inspectors loved it. All the employees, the office folks, everybody, they, they loved it. But costs continued to rise, continued to rise, continued to rise. We had a 32% increase one year with our health insurance. And this, this may be a good future episode, actually, is uh, health insurance the topic of. But we had to figure out how to limit that cost. And what we finally started doing was paying just a flat dollar amount. Look, we're going to pay a flat dollar amount every year of your premium. Here are your options. It's probably going to increase year over year. The options are up to you. You can go up, you can go down, whatever you choose, but we'll, in, we'll contribute a flat dollar amount. Um, and that was, that was a really good thing that we did in fixed costs because every year that health insurance cost was going up. We do the same thing. We have 401k. We know that it's going to be a percentage of whatever the inspectors pay in, and we pay a percentage of that. Um, so limiting your fixed costs. When times are good, it's okay to spend money to reinvest, but think about a fixed cost over time. That means you're paying the same thing month over month over month, year after year after year. That is your fixed cost, and we try to keep those down, try to limit those. So those are some of the things that I would tell my 25-year-old self if I were starting this business way back then. Um, probably the most important, if I, if I took the top ones from this, it would be have a vision. What do you want this thing to look like and work towards that vision? What does it look like down the road? I don't mean an exit strategy where you're, where you're 65 and fishing or whatever the whatever the outcome is. I mean, what does this thing look like? What do you want to build? And then I would probably say, pay yourself first, because that's why we do this, right? We do it because we develop these crazy habits like eating, wearing clothes, having shelter, buying things. And we want to get paid doing what we do. We're taking time away from our families, our friends to go out and run this business. Pay yourself first. Because everything else is going to create so much pressure, you won't be able to avoid it. So pay yourself first. Um, and then I would say be okay with not being needed. That's a tough thing to do. And that falls into the ego piece of wanting to do everything on your own. Even I, So I'm a member of an entrepreneur's organization. And it's funny, when you're, when you're with a bunch of entrepreneurs, what you learn is everyone likes to say they did it on their own. And being okay with not doing it on your own is, is, tough, is a tough place to get to, but it's perfectly fine. I, I never judge anyone. Well, I say never. I, I haven't judged anyone for not doing anything on their own. I think it's quite smart to be able to leverage your, leverage your time, leverage your money, and leverage yourself that uh, you can get other people to do things for you while you move on to bigger, better, more important tasks. Um, so being okay with not being needed. So those would probably be my top three. Have a vision. And in, in that, I would like to include, when you do have a vision, get excited about it. Stay excited. Internally, we're all excited. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it, but show it externally. So having a vision, paying yourself first, and then being okay with not being needed. Those are the top three things that I would say, I wish I would have known. It would have made life much easier for me. 
and that's going to wrap up this episode. If you if you like what you've heard, you know, click on uh, click on that link and subscribe. And we will see you next time.